I actually, I actually became a public figure this morning um, on my Instagram. Uh, there's, a, there's a way that you can change the settings in there so that you can become a public figure. And uh, I figure with a picture like this, with a crowd behind me, that'll help lend some, some credibility to that. I actually, oh, sorry, I put the wrong one up. Uh, go to the next one. This is, a, this is my Christian version, actually. Um, the bio's a little bit different. Um, sometimes I think it's hard to resist labeling ourselves. And the more important the label like the more important we feel about ourselves. The more important we feel about ourselves, the more valued we feel, and therefore the more content or happier we are. And it's interesting, if if you've seen Instagram profiles and whatnot, people throw some like really crazy labels out there. You know, people use labels like public figure, entrepreneur, influencer, creator, author, You know, you try to pick the most influential, the biggest labels that you can think of, and you put it on your profile so that others will see you in the way that you hope to be seen. I was watching a YouTube uh, video about steak, as I often do, and uh, it's a particular type of steak from a brand of cattle called Wagyu, and it's delicious, but... The, the guy that they had on there was going to talk about the taste of the steak. And, and you know, the, the video intros often have, like, a caption at the bottom of the screen. It'll say, like, the name of the person, and then it'll say, like, what their title is. And so, sure enough, the, the video has the name of the person. I'm thinking, okay, great, it's going to be, you know, some, you know, famous chef or, or some food critic or maybe a restaurateur. And so there's the name of the person and then this was the title, this was the role uh, listed in the caption. It was Lifestyle Influencer and Tastemaker. Lifestyle Influencer and Tastemaker. That sounds really fancy. Um, like if I were to go back to college, I would take Lifestyle Influence and Tastemaking 101. Like that's the title I want for myself. But I'm wondering like what is it really saying about the person? Like, it has nothing to do with their food experience. Basically, what it's saying is, I'm an influencer, so a lot of people listen to what I say, and therefore, you should listen to what I say. That's what it's saying. And of course, I, I know what tastes good because I make the taste. So this sort of grandiose title is it's almost like a caricature of, of, of our own self-aspirations, our own self uh, 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 glorification. If, if we can just say enough about ourselves, if we can represent, then maybe we can actually convince people that we're important. And the question that I want to explore this morning is what truly gives someone influence and credibility? Is it having the right label? Is it about having a a certain amount of followers? A certain amount of likes on your social media? As we dig back into the Gospel of John, we're going to start looking at the narrative portion of the book. So we've looked at the prologue, the introduction, and now we're going to start to get 
into the actual story. And in order to meet Jesus, that's the title of our, of our series, we're going to first meet a person by the name of John. And what is John going to say about Jesus? Why do we pay attention to what John says about Jesus? What is his credibility? And there's, along the way, there's three points that I want to make. The first is that we are not that important. Point number one, we're not that important. Point number two, we need a lot of help. And point number three is we have a very important Savior that gives us all the help we need. Those are the three points. Point one, we're not that important. Let's go back to John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him that uh, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So we start to get a portrait of John. Now, just right off the bat, this is John the Baptist, who's different than John the Apostle. John the Apostle wrote this. John the Apostle is writing about John the Baptist, who knew Jesus. They both knew Jesus. So this is writing about John the Baptist, and he was called John the Baptist because he baptized people. That was his primary ministry. And if you start to look at the the full picture of who John the Baptist is, you start to understand that he was pretty important. Uh, Not just from this passage, but if you look, for example, in Mark chapter 1, verse 5, we read that that basically all the the multitudes and crowds came from all of uh, Judea and Jerusalem and were going to John the Baptist to be baptized. Now, at the time, the population of Jerusalem was probably 500 to 600,000 people. And it's interesting, the language that's used here in all Jerusalem and Judea were going out to him to being baptized. I don't know if it means each and every single person, but certainly what was happening is it could be characterized that the most, the the majority of the people of hundreds and thousands of people were going out to be baptized by John, going out to hear John the Baptist preach about this baptism of repentance. So if you look at, if you were to think of John the Baptist in terms of an Instagram profile, like he can, he can put those labels out there. Like if you look at the follower, you look at mine, like I have 60-something followers, right? Like, like I'm nothing compared to John the Baptist. John the Baptist can, and back then, like we say, oh, well, there's people here with millions and millions of followers. Where, well, just think about it. Back then, there was no social media. He's getting people to leave their daily... They don't even have cars. They're going to walk long distances out to the Jordan River, the kind of the desert, the place where no one really lived, where John the Baptist is sitting there eating locusts and honey. Like, that's a lot of effort to go through to see this person. So if he were, if he were here today, he would be, no doubt, like one of the biggest Christian celebrities on the planet. He's a big deal if you look at it from the lens that we tend to look at greatness. Question is, what is 
what does John do with that notoriety? How does he respond in light of this influence that he has? Well, let's get reading. Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Nah. He, 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 you see, he, the, um, the people who were sent to go interview John, like there's these people, they've heard, obviously, they've heard all that what John was doing, all the people that are getting baptized. They go to interview. They say, what do you say about yourself? That's what they're trying to understand. Like, what label are you putting on yourself that gives you the right to act like such a big deal? And John is refusing. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. What am I? Who are you? He answers. He says in verse 23, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He quotes scripture. Now, if they understood the Scripture, they would understand that he has an important role in what he's doing, but they don't like that answer. They continue in verse 24. They asked him, Why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy of to untie. Jesus says of John the Baptist in Luke 7, verse 28, that he's the greatest prophet who ever lived. So John was great. The greatest prophet who ever lived did not take all the attention for himself. He used that attention to point it to someone else whom we should place our attention in. He was pointing to the one who comes after him, namely Jesus. And so if the greatest person who's ever lived, the greatest prophet who's ever lived, says the most important thing for you to know is not about me and my label, but about Jesus, how much more ought we to do the same? And it's interesting, I think we're so enamored with celebrity we're so enamored with notoriety and influence. And, and I, I wonder why. I wonder why that's the case. And, and I think it has to do with this deep felt need that we have for worth and importance. It's not a bad thing to want to be worth something, to want to be valued. But the question is, what determines our value and worth? Is it celebrity is it notoriety? Is it how many likes you get on your picture? I don't know if, if you can relate to this, but when I was on Facebook and posting pictures, I would post a picture, and as soon as I posted, I would check like a few minutes later to see if it got any likes. Not just once a day, but like multiple times a day. Refresh, refresh. Why? Why do we do that? We want to know that people care. We want to know that people value us, that people think we're worth something. But as we look at 
what God is doing, as we look at the person of Jesus and recognize that Jesus is God and Jesus creates all life, that our value and our worth is found in the person who gives life, Jesus. Jesus is the only one who owns life. He's the only one who can can give value to life. And so that's why John the Baptist, despite all his fame, despite all his notoriety, is saying, don't look at me, don't look at my labels. I'm not going to even give you a label. I'm the one called by God to point the one to who your attention should be on. His name is Jesus. He's the one who gives value and notoriety and worthiness. The first point is to, to pay attention to Jesus and not celebrity. How do we do that? How do we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto Jesus? I think it starts with uh, recognizing that we need a lot of help. Recognizing that we need a lot of help, like all of us, not just myself, not just you. Everyone on this planet Earth who is not God needs a lot of help. I remember in my younger adult years, um, as I was really just learning what the church was about and having more Christian friends, I started, I started grabbing, gravitating towards uh, Christian celebrities. So I had these, these teachers that I liked, whether it was John Piper or Tim Keller or Matt Chandler or whatever, and I started, you know, listening to sermon after sermon online, and I started going to these conferences, and I went to the Desiring God conference in Minneapolis, and it's, it's really cool. It's like this, a sea of like thousands of people all worshiping God, but like they're all there. You know, I was there to hear the speaker whom I heard like on YouTube or something, and now I can see him live, and maybe I can go up and shake his hand, and, and, and maybe I can take a picture with him. And, and I remember going to one conference and then two conferences and then three conferences and then four conferences. And every conference, you know, you get this spiritual high, this sort of euphoric moment where you feel like now's the time where I'll, I'll really live for God. Now's the time where my life will really change. I'll really do God's work now because now I've heard the message in a more powerful way. And I remember after a period of time finally becoming a little bit sort of disillusioned, realizing that there are still ways in which my life was not changing. That, the, that this sort of seeking after these spiritual gurus and even listening to really great messages and great preaching wasn't really affecting my life in a very deep way. And moreover, I started realizing that some of the people I was listening to also were sinners. I remember one in particular, some of you may know, I'm not going to give the name, but there was a popular preacher here in the Seattle area. I went to um, their church for a while and uh, was enamored with how great of a Bible teacher this person was. And they were just preaching from the Bible every Sunday. It's like, wow, this person's really used of God. And maybe if, I, maybe if I continue to sit under his teaching, maybe God could use me too in this way. And then you begin to start discovering that behind the scenes, there were some sin issues in his life that caused the church to fracture and disintegrate. And despite a lot of the good that happened through that, there was a lot of hurt and a lot of pain at the same time. 
And I think the more that we lift up and place human beings on a pedestal that only God belongs on, the greater our disappointment will be. We need to recognize that we need help. None of us is made to be our own savior. No other person, despite how great they might be, despite how influential they might be, despite how much success it might look like they have, they are not built to be our savior. And John the Baptist is screaming that. The picture of what he's come to do, the ministry that John the Baptist was sent to do is water baptism. What is it? What is water baptism? Let me describe just the mechanics of it, okay? When I was a kid, I didn't understand what water baptism was. I thought water baptism meant you have to get buck naked and stand in front of a crowd for like an uncomfortable amount of time and then be dunked in the water for like several minutes until the baptism became effective. And so I didn't want to get baptized. <laughs> so I hope none of you understand baptism in that way. Baptism literally was, was just, you can be fully clothed. <laughs> you don't have to be buck naked. You just go under the water and you come out. That's what it is, mechanically. You just dip in the water, it's full immersion. And you come out immediately. So that's what it was. Now, why? Now, that's the interesting question. Why would anyone get baptism? Let me ask it a different way. Why would anyone voluntarily choose to, be, to cover your entire body with water? Why would you do that? You can, you can talk. Who said that? Wash, clean, right? Bath, right? You're physically dirty. You stank. Water cleans you. You take a bath, right? That's something we all understand. Water is something that has a cleansing property. Okay, before we had all kinds of uh, soaps and sprays and whatnot to try to cover up stuff, you needed water. And often you would go to a river, fresh water, to wash yourself, to bathe yourself. And so that is a symbol it speaks to the reality of a type of cleansing that we need. Yes, our, our physical bodies need to be clean. I hope we all have good hygiene and stuff. But it's pointing to like a deeper spiritual truth. Elsewhere, when it talks about John the Baptist baptizing, it says he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance. So what he was doing is saying, he's calling out, hey, y'all are dirty. Not physically dirty, spiritually dirty. You're sinful. You don't do the things God tells you to do, and you do the things that God tells you not to do. You need to be cleaned. You need help. That's what he's saying. And baptism is a picture, like a, like a physical picture of what it looks like to admit to God, I need help, and I need to be cleaned. Just as, you know, I went to... Uh, Stephanie and I, we, we have a, a coffee pot that we broke, shattered, just into bits. And we look at uh, online, you know, you can buy a brand new one for like almost the price of, of a whole coffee maker. And so we thought, well, what if we go to Goodwill? 
maybe they have something cheaper. And so we, we go into Goodwill. And uh, actually, Stephanie went to several Goodwills. And finally, I said, let's go to this particular Goodwill. I think I will find something there. And so we went, and I looked around. I didn't see it. I was like, shoot, I thought we would find it here. And then finally, Stephanie looks around, and she, she sees it, like the exact one that would fit our coffee pot. But she looks at it and says, this is dirty and ugly. Like, I don't think we want this one. And I looked at it. I was like, but it's the right one. I said, you know what? We can, we can baptize this coffee pot. <laughs> we can baptize it. Now, now no, I actually didn't say that. Uh, this is something called preacher sermonization that happens. We take real-life scenarios, and then we sort of reapply, like, biblical terms. So just so you know, preachers do this. Anyhow, so I said to Stephanie, we can baptize this. We can make it new. And she's like, I don't know. It's pretty grody. She showed me, like, the inside ring, like, had all this caked on brown stuff. And, I mean, it looked pretty bad. I said, you know what? I think this coffee pot can live again. (laughs) So we, we bought the coffee pot. We did buy it. And... I'll tell you what happened later. (laughs) That's the picture of baptism. It looks dirty. We look dirty. We look gross. And we say, you know what? We need to be cleaned. Can, Can we be useful again? That's kind of the question. Can we be used? Are we just on the shelf? Are we useless on the shelf, dirty, and ugly to be passed over, to be passed by? Or can we be made clean again? Can we be baptized? That's kind of the question that we're giving, getting at. But we need something more than just water baptism, don't we? If our dirtiness has to do with our spirit, then it seems like we would need a baptism that's spiritual. But before we get there, there's something else, and that's where I want to move forward to verse 29. The third point, we have a very important Savior that gives us the help we need. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, but uh, because he was before me. It's interesting, he's saying, uh, it's kind of like a riddle here. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. And so, like, who is he? That's the riddle. John the Baptist was born first. Jesus was born after. So Jesus comes after him, but he was before me. He's before him because of what we looked at last week. Jesus was the word the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. So that's the sense in which Jesus is before John the Baptist. It's only because Jesus is the Son of God and God himself that he can be before John the Baptist, even though he was born physically afterwards. But he gives a label to Jesus that's very important. And that label is Lamb of God. Lamb of God. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
And there's a lot baked into that statement, that label, Lamb of God. Like, if you don't understand uh, what I'm about to tell you, you won't understand that. Like, Lamb of God, what in the world does that mean? It's referencing the system of animal sacrifice that the Jewish people would have known very well. And so when he said that, they would have understood, maybe, what he was talking about. Now, so it comes from animal sacrifice. Now, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. So sin is rejection of God. We basically say in our sin, we're going to do what we want. Whatever you say, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to do what we want. And that is a form of rejecting God. And when we reject God, God says that the consequences of rejecting God is death. But instead of God like killing us immediately every time we sin, what he says, I love you, and so I'm going to give you this provision, and this provision is animal sacrifice. I'm going to allow you to substitute a lamb. You're going to kill that lamb, and you're going to let its blood spill out because life is in the blood, and that blood will cover your sin. Therefore, you don't have to die. We might take a step back and go, that's horrifying. And that's the point. The killing of the animals was meant to be a demonstration of the ugliness of sin. That if we saw sin rightly, we would see it just as we saw the dying lamb before us with its blood spilling out and how atrocious and how ugly that is. We would see that that's how ugly it is to turn our backs on our creator, the person who has given us everything the very breath we breathe for us to to reject him that is is ugly even more ugly than it is to see a dying lamb before you but at the same time you see that ugliness you see the grace of god in that moment as he allows that lamb to be a substitute for your death that instead of you dying this lamb dies on your behalf And this becomes a pointer to something greater because are we destined to live life like forever, continuing to sin and continuing to need to sacrifice animal after animal, lamb after lamb to make us clean over and over and over again for eternity? Is there a more perfect sacrifice possible? Is there a once and for all lamb that could be slain for our sins so that we don't have to keep sacrificing and keep uh, killing animals? And the answer in Scripture is yes in Jesus. Yes in Jesus. So when John says, behold the Lamb of God, what he's saying is, this is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins in this person of Jesus He has come to lay down his life, to be killed, to to let out his blood, to cover our sins once and for all. His blood is powerful and potent enough to do that because he is God himself and he lived a perfect life. His blood is enough. And that's this whole story of the Bible is pointing to this, uh, this person, Jesus, who lived for that moment where he would die on the cross for our sins so that we could be truly clean, so that we could be declared righteous before God, so that we would not have to suffer 
a destiny of death, but could have a destiny of eternal life. Jesus is God's grace embodied. He's the sacrificial lamb of God for the whole world, the one who takes away the sins of the world. Now, is that all there is to it? Is that, is that the whole of salvation? And I would submit to you that it's not. And I think some of us Christians place most of the emphasis of salvation on the death of Jesus, and it is an amazing and incredible thing. But I'm going to argue this morning that it is not the whole of salvation. It is not the complete story. And this is what I mean. Let me give you an example. Let's say, hypothetically, a a family member borrows $1,200 from me. And uh, he says he's going to pay it back after a certain period of time. The time goes past, and he doesn't pay it back. And he doesn't even apologize doesn't even bring it up and brings it up years later sorry about that maybe at some point he is truly sorrowful maybe at some point he does truly regret what he does and he says yeah i just can't pay it but what i did was wrong will you forgive me and i say you know what i'll extend forgiveness i'll cover your debt you're good Has the problem been solved completely? Not necessarily. The relational tension might be solved between me and the family member, but you have to ask the question, why was he not able to pay in the first place? Why, why could he not save up enough money? Why, why did he withhold? And... You have to look at the cause for that. Maybe he's got like a compulsive spending habit. All right, some of us deal with this. My wife has a friend who uh, she told me uh, has, was compulsively um, purchasing antiques. And uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I haven't had this experience, but imagine like going into a store and feeling like your body like shaking Uh, at the prospect of not purchasing some antique and you just have to get it or whatever the case might be we have some condition which I would call like a, a a poverty condition there's some lack in our soul some lack in our spirit that says you know I I can't what I know I should do I can't do I don't have the resources in myself to to overcome what I know what I ought to do That condition has to be addressed. And that's the type of cleansing that that God brings us. That's the fullness of salvation. If we go back to that idea of baptism, that's the spiritual baptism that we need. And that's why when John points out Jesus, he calls him the Lamb of God, the one who takes away sin of the world, but he also says he's the one who brings the baptism of the Spirit. 
in verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And what you get is a picture of a couple things. One, God himself is testifying that Jesus is the one that he sent. And in that picture of the Spirit descending, it remains on Jesus, thereby showing Jesus is the one who gives the Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Spirit. So if you take that idea of being baptized in water, what Jesus does, he enables us to be baptized in the Spirit fully immersed in the Spirit for the actual cleansing of ourselves. If you're to put this in theological terms, the the death of Jesus is sufficient for justification, but the Spirit of God is necessary for sanctification. God declares us righteous on the basis of of Jesus' blood and His blood alone, but He makes us more and more like us, like Him, He conforms us into his image through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the means. That's the only means of spiritual growth is through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is, as it were, he's he's looking at us like coffee pots that are dirty and corrupt and gross. And instead of passing us by on the shelf and saying, you know what, that's worthless, he actually says, you know what? I'm going to buy that coffee pot while it's dirty. I'm going to pay for it with my blood, and I'm going to wash it clean, and it will fulfill its purpose. That's what God is doing when, when he redeems us through the blood of Jesus. He redeems us while we're dirty, while we're corrupt, while we're gross, while we look and appear useless. Jesus says, you know what? You are, use- you are useful. You will be. You know why? Not because the coffee pot's going to clean itself up, but because I'm the Lord. I'm going to clean you through the power of the Spirit. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to become clean. And, and, and he's drawing us to the purpose for which we were created. In Colossians 1.16, it says, All things were created through Jesus, for Jesus. We were created by Jesus, for his purposes, and his purposes is to magnify Jesus, to magnify the God who's created us, who's loved us, who's been faithful to us, who's given us everything good there is about life. There's nothing better than to worship God in this way. There's nothing better than to point to him as the one who gives us life, as the one who gives us hope, as the one who gives us everything that we delight in about life, beauty, and love, and glory, and majesty. All these things are from God. And even the greatest of people in the Bible are saying, it's not about me, it's about him. The question becomes, how does this look like practically? What does it look like to become more and more like Jesus? And I'll say a couple things. One, the the reference to spiritual breathing, I think, is a very helpful uh, idea. It all starts with belief. Do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do we believe that he's really given us his spirit? In Acts, when Peter's preaching to the multitudes, 
He says, believe and you will receive the Holy Spirit. It's not like something that you have to work for. It's not something you have to wait like years and years of study and trying before you finally get the Spirit. He says, believe and you have the Spirit with you. Believe you have, it's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the God who's with you. Ezekiel puts it this way, Ezekiel chapter 36. This is God saying, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The, the impetus, the, the reason for our obedience is because of the Spirit of God that's in us. Do we believe that we have the Spirit of God with us, in us, as we walk day to day? It's not, we're not in search of a spiritual high. We're not in search of gurus who are going to show us the way. We need the power of God in transformation. And that's what I've experienced. As I look back, it's not that you're going to see these big leaps and bound changes like from yesterday. Sometimes you have to look five years back, ten years back. And when I do that, I see the power of God and his ability to change. Like the way I spend money is different than ten years ago. What I consume is different than ten years ago. And now as I'm married more recently, God has revealed selfishness in me that I didn't see before. And he's working on that continually. As we sit and we recognize, you know what? I need help. I can't do it myself. Lord, I believe that your spirit is with me. Father, help me, help me to see this. Holy Spirit, help me to show me what it means to love my wife as you've loved the church. Help me to understand how I can lay down my preferences for the sake of another person. I don't want to sometimes. Lord, I need your help to give me the ability to do that. I trust that your ways are good that my ways are fraught with peril. It's called repentance. Agreeing with God, your ways are good. My ways are faulty. I'm gonna trust that your ways are good. And more than that, I'm gonna believe that you're helping me to make the next step. And so I wanna encourage us, just kind of in that idea of spiritual breathing, to, to pause and to pay attention when you feel conviction, when you feel like, ah, I really should be doing this, or I really shouldn't be doing this, to, to stop and, and, and don't just try harder or ignore it, but pay attention to God. Say, Lord, I'm feeling this. Lord, would you, would you help me? Look at his word. Interact with community. Like we need, this becomes like his word and his spirit and the community is like the, the context for spiritual growth. If we, if we lose any one of those things, we don't grow. But if we're in that context, we're being washed. We're being refined. And it doesn't happen overnight because there are all sorts of nooks and crannies in our being that sometimes we're washed on one part and we think we're good and then we realize, oh, there was this crevice in here and it's now been opened up to be washed some more. It's a process. This whole life is a process, and we get to the end. We have this hope of a future glory that when Jesus comes back, like that process will be done, and we will be spotless 
and, and blemishless. We will be clean, white as the driven snow, because of the work that Jesus has done. He's secured on the cross through his blood, and he's given us his spirit to make, uh, make happen actually what he's declared through, through Jesus. At this time, I'd like you to pray with me, and then we'll take communion. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, I ask that you would help us practically to see ways in which we can rely upon your power and your ability to bring change to our lives. Lord, would you help us to believe, help us to trust in the work that you did on the cross, that your sacrifice was once and for all, that our sins are no more, they have no more power over us. Father, would you help us to trust in you and open our hearts and minds to where you're leading us, to where you would have us be more like you, and help us to understand and see your grace every day as you continue to love us, as you continue to redeem us, as you continue to cleanse us, that we would see, as your word says, grace upon grace from your fullness. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have deemed us worthy, that you have deemed us valuable, and that you have set us apart for your purposes. We thank you, we praise you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, At this point, uh, we also take communion.